All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open them with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The title for tonight's Christmas reflection is that victory is born. Victory is born. Let's begin by reading these eight verses together, beginning in verse 50. Paul says this, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen. May God bless the preaching of his word here this evening. Do you all know what the ELFS is? The ELFS is the Elves Liberating Fight Squad, right? In the Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen and his son Charlie and the elves from the North Pole who, who look just like little kids. They're in the police station. They look at the police officer behind the desk and they say, we're not just kids. We're elves with an attitude. And they serve on the ELFS or the Elves Liberating Fight Squad. And they help to save the day. And it's entertaining because it's a rescue from a very unlikely source. Little kids, or even less so little babies, do not often make great heroes. No, babies and children are often weak and frail. They need our help. They are not the ones offering the help. This is why Kevin McAllister is so impressive in the Home Alone movies. He does what normal kids would not normally do. It's why Harry and Marv get so frustrated and they say, he's only a kid, Harry, we could take him. Kids are not assumed to be very powerful. And so it needs to be asked, is the nativity scene, is the Christmas story, just like some of these entertaining movies that we like to watch where small children suddenly do amazing things? No. In fact, the Christmas miracle is that this little baby in the manger does not do anything particularly impressive. He doesn't jump out of his mother's arm and start attacking the bad guys. He does not start talking clearly and directly and solving world problems. No, this little baby lays in the manger. And what does he do? He sleeps and he cries and he eats from his mother and he dirties his diaper. And then what does he do? Well, he 
sleeps and he cries and he eats and he dirties his diaper. He, he does what all babies do. But my friends, do not be deceived. He is no ordinary child. Though he looks and sounds and probably even smells in both good and bad ways like an ordinary baby, this baby is different. He is the greatest hero this world has ever known. He is set on bringing about the greatest rescue mission, the greatest liberation fight that this world has ever seen. And friends, this is why we celebrate together. We celebrate here together tonight because, main idea, the baby in the manger is the man who hung on the cross and the king who came out of the grave. The baby in the manger is the man who hung on the cross and the king who came out of the grave. And we have three points. Number one, the baby in the manger. Number two, the man on the cross. And number three, the king over the grave. Let's begin with the first point. Point number one, the baby in the manger. If you have your Bibles, look at verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. In this text, Paul is speaking of the stark difference between the kingdom of God and ourselves. When he speaks of flesh and blood, he, he's talking about the matter of humanity, the, the substance of humanity. You and I, we are creatures with flesh and blood. We're, we're physical people. But listen, it's not that our bodies are bad and that they need to be made suddenly some mysterious way more spiritual, less physical. It's that our bodies in their current state cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says up in verse 49 that we were all born of Adam, the man of dust. And then in verse 56, he talks about the sting of death and sin. And so it's not that we need to be freed from the physical. No, God made the physical and God intends for the physical to remain forever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth. But it is that our flesh and blood in its sinful, weak, perishable state cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But friends, in God's ultimate and perfect future plan, you and I do not end with aching joints and weakened muscles. In God's eternal plan, there is no place for chronic illness. In God's kingdom, there is no place for headaches or digestive issues, or high blood pressure. The, the perishable cannot inherit the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God has no room for pain or for sorrow or for anything that is imperishable because it is, it is wholly imperishable. But friends, if this is true, verse 50 presents a problem, doesn't it? If the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable or the mortal cannot inherit immortality, if we cannot enter into eternal life in our current sinful state, then what hope do we have? How can we enter into that kingdom? Well, friends, we do have hope because Jesus took on flesh and blood. 
Because the immortal God entered into this mortal and perishable world. We have hope because he who had no flesh and no blood took on flesh and blood to become like us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 might be my favorite Christmas verse in the whole Bible. It says, since therefore we share in flesh and blood. Since you and I are human beings, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things. Jesus, the Son of God, he, he took on flesh and blood. Why? To be like his people. Why? In order that through becoming perishable with us, he might die for us. Friends, think about this. He became a baby. Babies are not impressive. They're beautiful, but not impressive. They're not powerful people. Are they cute? Yes, very cute. But they're not sources of strength and power. No, they are vulnerable and needy. Now, since not all of us remember what it's like to be a baby, not all of us have young children right now, I thought it would be helpful to remind you of how small and vulnerable children are. So I have a few pictures for us here tonight. I want to see if you can tell who these friends are. Let's show the first one. Any idea who that is? Yeah, that's Nathan Lane. Isn't that great? Let's see the next one. Any idea who that is? Everett Petit. Oh, Everett. Show me the next one. Who is that? Sean, everybody knows. Those are Smith eyes right there. That's Sean Smith. That's awesome. Show me the next one. Who's that? It's Jason. Isn't that great? All right, and now you guys think I'm going to show you one of me, but I'm actually not. I'm going to something, show you something far better than me. Do you know who, who this is? Cutest child. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped one. Drew, I forgot about you. Do you know who this is? That's Drew. All right, let, let's move beyond Drew. Let's, what's that? I, but I made a mistake. I was speaking of someone else, not you. So let's show these next ones. Who? Oh, that's my wife, Ashley. Come on. You don't get cuter than that. I couldn't choose one. I had to choose them all. Friends, all of that is adorable. So cute. But those pictures do not instill in us all kinds of confidence, do they? We would not look to one of those children to save us from anything. But my friends, God became like us even in that. He was not strong and impressive. He was a small, helpless, needy, unimpressive infant. He laid aside his glory in order to lay helpless in a manger. He had little eyes that could cry, little ears that could be infected, little lungs that could catch croup, a little throat that could be sore. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, and so the king of heaven, the Alpha and the Omega, the sovereign one, Jesus the Son of God, put on flesh and blood to become like us and he did so so that he could die for us this is the baby in the manger and it brings us to our second point point number two the man on the cross Paul as he's written this letter is coming to this point and he is so excited he is so emphatic about what he is saying here the phrase in verse 50 I tell you this or again in verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. Those are demonstrative phrases. Paul the apostle is excited and he is excited because this is the climax of all that he's been saying throughout this chapter. 
Chapter 15 began in verse 1, if you remember, with Paul saying, Now, church, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. And then he said in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Chapter 15 has been an extended reflection on the gospel and the implications of the gospel for our lives. And absolutely central to this gospel is not that Jesus was just born as a baby, but that he died. The baby in the manger becomes the bloody man on the cross. And Paul says that this is of first importance. Christmas is not just a fairy tale. It's not just a good Hallmark movie. No, Christmas is a liberation story. A liberation story where God himself rescues his people from their sins. And he does this nowhere more clearly or more powerfully or more lovingly than in how he sent his son, his only son, to die on that cruel cross. Think about this. Parents love to defend their kids, don't they? Particularly when they're young, our instinct as parents is to protect our children from any and all harm. I remember when my kids were young, if they got hurt, I would be jumping to see if they were okay. Even now as they are older, if they get hurt, I'm there to protect them. It's a parent's instinct to protect. But consider this. Consider this. Consider what God the Father and God the Son together agreed to do in order to save humanity. The Father and the Son, they agreed together that they would subject the Son to the wrath and to the fury of the Father. That the Father would would crush His Son. That He would allow the hands of sinful men to seize His Son, to abuse His Son, to mock His Son, to beat His Son, to ultimately crucify His only Son. Oh, the pain that there must have been in that for both the Son and the Father. What agony, what, what suffering was involved here. But yet it was their pleasure and joy to do so. Isaiah 53 says that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Hebrews chapter 12 says that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured the cross. They joyfully undertook this project. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? We get the joy of a new birth. We get the joy of new life. A baby in a manger. It's a sweet story. There's a reason the angels sung about his glory. Glory to God. We get the pleasure and joy of new life. But how can God the Father and God the Son have joy over the death and agony of a cross? How is there pleasure in this? How is there happiness here? Here is how. Because in Jesus dying on that cross in accordance with the scriptures, the ultimate liberation fight was fought. God himself waged war on sin and death by making his son sin and death for us. He bore the weight of our sin. Why? So that the weight of sin and death might be removed forever. The sting of death taken away. So that the wrath and anger and judgment of God, which was rightly coming against you, might be poured out on the Son instead of you. As if becoming a baby wasn't enough love. 
No, this baby took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, consider with me the fact that God the Son died on a cross. The fact that he died at all should amaze us. But the fact that he chose to die on a cruel cross, he could have had a noble death. He could have died a hero's death. He could have died with pomp and fame. But no, he died as a criminal on a Roman instrument of torture and death. Do you know what that means? It is a demonstration of God that, that his death was for everyone. It wasn't just for the elite. His death was not just for the privileged and for those of high society. It was not just for those who have prestige and power. No, in dying as a criminal on that cross, Jesus demonstrates how his death is for everyone. You can't get more lowly than a criminal on a cross. So listen, no matter how lowly you feel this Christmas season, no matter how unworthy you feel tonight, you can know that Jesus came for you. He came for you. Listen, the little baby in the manger can bear up under the weight of your sin. The little baby in the manger can shoulder your darkness and depression. The little baby in the manger, he can shoulder your many past mistakes and failures. He can bear up under your condemnation. This little baby can lift the weight of your many transgressions and many sins. No one has sinned so much or sinned so grossly that this little baby who would become the bloody man on the cross will ever turn away from you. No, he says, he says come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. Are you tired this Christmas season? Are you barely getting it to Sunday? Are you worn down by circumstances and by relationships and by trials? He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He can bear it with you. He died for you. When Paul says in verse 56 that the, the stain of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, he's highlighting the the weight that we all feel under our sin. The law, God's word has crushed us. Your own conscience is crushing you. You know things are not right before God. Before God, we all wear the muddy garments of our sin. We are exposed and we are ashamed. We want to hide our faces and crawl into a hole because of how unworthy we are. But this little, innocent, pure, spotless little baby in the manger says, I want to wear those garments for you. I want to wear your shame. I want to hold your condemnation. I want to put on your guilt. I want to wear your sin. Why? So that I can absorb the wrath of God my Father for you. So that you can put on my pure, spotless innocent robes of righteousness and forgiveness and wear them forever. What glorious news. The baby in the manger becomes the man on the cross and he did so for you. Come to Jesus this Christmas season. Come to Jesus and have your sins and shame removed and be given a very, very bright future, which brings us to our third and to our final point this evening, the king over the grave. 
I don't know about you, but Christmas always seems to go too fast for me. Is that true for you as well? Isn't that, isn't that common? One day it's Thanksgiving, and the next day we are getting rid of the Christmas tree. It's all just too fast. I want it to last longer. I remember when I was growing up, I started having these moments, even as a, as a younger kid, uh, uh, feelings of sadness early in December because I knew that in no time at all, all of it would be over. I'd be heading back to school. The lights would be gone. The songs would be different. The anticipation would end. And I think we can all feel that. Some of us have a hard time truly celebrating Christmas at all because this, this brief moment in our calendar doesn't at all change the other 11 months of the year which seem to be so filled with sorrow and pain. We, we love the idea of Jesus coming as a baby, but we so often forget that, uh, what he came to accomplish through his humanity. We often put our hope in Christmas, but forget that our hope is really in what happens after Christmas. Yes, there is his miraculous birth. Yes, there are angels in Acts chapter 2 who announce his birth and who shout glory to God in the highest. But we must not forget the other angels in Luke 24 who stood outside the empty grave and said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. We must not forget the resurrection this Christmas season. The, the angels sang to the shepherds in the fields because they knew that Jesus came to wage war on death, to wage war on sickness, to wage war on depression, to wage war on sorrow and pain and grief. Jesus came as a baby to be the ultimate warrior for his people, fighting for them against their greatest enemy, which is the grave. And he was victorious. On that silent night in Bethlehem, a loud death blow was being struck against death itself. Victory was being born. This is why the angels sang. This is why the shepherds came. This is why Paul proclaims. Paul says, I declare to you, I tell you, it's almost too good to be true. Paul speaks of a trumpet that will sound. Trumpets like angels singing are the sound of victory. And Paul says that because of Jesus' bodily resurrection over the grave, the ultimate, the final trumpet will resound. And Paul says that all of this is going to happen as it was written. He is quoting Isaiah chapter 25. Listen to these extraordinary words from the prophet Isaiah. He, speaking of Jesus, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in this salvation. That, that phrase, we have waited for him, let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Oh, friends, the people of the Old Testament waited for this victorious one to come. They longed for him to bring an end to their oppression and we wait as well, don't we? We long for that trumpet sound of victory to come once and for all. We long for the end. But even though the end is not yet here, we know what the end will be, don't we? We know that we will live. We know that in Jesus we will have victory. Why? Because Jesus has already won. 
He's already conquered the grave. And so the end is already written. Everything sad is going to become undone. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is gone. The death of death has come. Death itself will be buried under the victorious reign of King Jesus. The baby in the manger is the victorious king over the grave. Victory was born. And so, friends, we sing, and we, we sing loudly. I love how loudly we sing Christmas songs, and I love how Christmas songs are filled with so much victorious language in them. In Hark the Herald, angels sing, we speak of the woman's conquering sea. That, that's victory. When we sing, O come all ye faithful, it speaks of being joyful and triumphant. That's victory over sin and death. When we sing joy to the world, it speaks of the Savior who reigns and rules the world with truth and peace. When we sing angels we have heard on high, we sing, let us come and adore him on bended knee, Christ the Lord, the newborn king. Friends, this baby in the manger is the king over the grave, and all who believe in him share and celebrate that victory with him. This baby changes everything. Look at verse 58 with me. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This baby who has had victory over the grave can now make us steadfast and immovable. There is strength and power for you in that manger, and it can transform our lives. Let us celebrate him together this evening.